thank you. That was a great song. Um, the song fits really well with what I, I in fact, I couldn't have chosen a better song. Um, and also the Bible verse, Revelation 1.8, about God being Alpha and Omega. So that fits in really well. It's great and a uh, privilege to come and uh, speak with you. Before I, I launch in, let me just read some scripture. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, um, if it's in paper form, great. If you're on tablet, phone, or whatever, great too. Joel, it's in, it's a, it's in the Old Testament, minor prophet, short book. I'll just read a few verses. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, son of Bethuel. Hear this, you elders. Listen, all who live in the land. Has anything like this ever happened um, in your days or in the days of your forefathers? Tell it to your children. Let your children tell it to their children, their children to the next generation. What the locust swarm has left, the great locusts have eaten. Um, chapter 2. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy hill. Let all who live in the land tremble for the day of the Lord is coming. Do you want another couple of verses? Okay. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Declare a holy fast. Call a sacred assembly. Gather the people. Consecrate the assembly. I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. The great locust and the young locust. And afterwards, I will pour out my spirit on all people. And your sons and daughters will prophesy. And your old men will dream dreams. And your young men will see visions and even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, gets to the very end, and you will know that I, the Lord your God, dwells with you. The Lord dwells in Zion. So thank you. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I was in a, in a church that uh, you know quite well if you're a partner of DCC. I was with New Life Family Church in, in, a, in, a, in a small little village called Tittensaw, uh, which I, I wouldn't even know how to get there without a G-Maps thing, but I was there. It was great. You know them? You know, you know Pastor Felicia and, and Matthew, don't you? They've probably been here, and I know your team go over there and help this church, uh, and it's a great church. Now, I've been introduced all around the world um, over the years, many different countries, and I've had some really awkward introductions and some strange ones, and um, the, strangest, uh, the strangest one ever, uh, as I was about to come up, just as I did then, uh, in, a, in, a, in an Elam uh, denomination that do know me quite well, it was in Africa, and they know me well, and... Uh, the person introducing me said this, Daddy's home. And I thought, oh, okay. <laughs> Daddy's home. 
I, I, I'm here. Uh, how many children do I have to go back to my wife and explain that I have <laughs> in Africa? Um, when I was in New Life Family Church, I was introduced as this. You know Dan? Dan's such a great preacher. You know he comes sometimes to us. He's a great preacher, isn't he? We love Dan. Well, this is his dad. We love Dan. <laughs> Dan is a good... Are you, are you Dan's dad? Yeah, yeah. Oh, we love Dan. Dan's great. Dan's a, such a great man. We love it when Dan comes. Are you his dad? Yeah, yeah. And I was at that moment so grateful that my son was so helpful to the introduction of who I was. <laughs> we moved into the service. It was a great service. And at the end of the service, the whole church gathered to the front as they just gathered around this 15-year-old girl who was going in for a leg operation. And it, it, I was observing, and it just seemed that this church absolutely valued, treasured this 15-year-old girl. They really wanted the operation to go well. They wanted God to heal, bless, fix her. I came out of the church, and I... Uh, went, uh, went to my car to, to take Pastor Felicia back uh, home. And a 21-year-old girl came running out of the church to get into her car. And I, I looked at her and thought, you look like you're 14, but you're driving a car. But that's more about me than it's about you. And she says, uh, Felicia, I just want to offer myself to work with young people, work with the children. I'm here. I'm available. And Felicia was really excited because someone like this young lady had come forward. I go home. I have lunch. Around the table are five of the six children. And they all talk comfortably about the church and about the Lord. And it dawned on me that God was showing me that morning from my introduction to the pastor's house, God's circle of life and what you've just been singing about and about the fact that God is for the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. His Alpha and his Omega. Now, I know also about the pain. I know about the tears and the, and the sadness when our children uh, walk away from our faith and walk away from the church. I know about churches who look around and there's no young generation to take on the baton. I can see all of that as well. But I'm here this morning with a message in my heart, to, which is, is this. It is the desire of God that every generation receives the continual outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Let me say it again. It is the desire of God, the continual outpouring of the Spirit on every generation on my next generation and that generation's next generation. It's his desire for that to happen. So let's come back to the promise. And I've read from 
the prophet Joel. We don't know much about him. His name means Yahweh is God. He's the next generation of his father, Pethuel. His name means mouth of God or persuasion of God. Is there anyone this morning who believes, who desires that God would use your mouth and your influence and your persuasion that the next generation of you, that you influence people who are younger than you so that when you die, they carry on with the baton and run and become and are the followers, the men and the women of God that you are today. Is there a desire here in this church? You see, Derby City Church, God wants you, but he also wants your children. God wants you, but he also wants those that you influence. God wants you, but he also wants those that have left the church. God wants you, and he wants those who have not ever been in church before. He, he's not just about you. It's not just about blessing you, but it's about you and who you impact. He's trying to reach through you. Amen? So, from this prophet, I want to suggest to you and say to you this. That we need to wake up to the desire of God. And when I say wake up, I mean it needs to be very much part and parcel of our thinking and how we do life. We need to wake up to the desire that God has for the next generation. Blow the trumpet. Awaken. Wake up, Joel will say. He starts by saying this, has anything happened like this in our generation? Do you know? Ask, ask around. Has anything taken place like this? Tell your children. Tell your children's children. And then tell them to tell that next generation. I mean, Joel is wanting to know that everybody is understanding that what they are going through at that moment in time is a big, big deal in the history of their nation. What it was, as you know, a national catastrophe where no one knew what to do. And it, it, it impacted their economy. The, the plague of locusts went right across their nation. There are times of personal crisis when you don't know what to do. There are times in, when a church needs renewing, doesn't know what to do. There are times like we are living in, in today when you look around at our society and the society that when you as a child grew up in is certainly not the world that you live in today. Everything seems to have changed some of that for the better, and some of that not so. And you look around and you see the poverty, and you look around and you see the hunger, 
You look around and see the need. You look around and see the impact that sin has caused in many spheres of, of, of our society upon people like you and me. And sometimes it leaves us thinking we don't know what to do. What do we do about the knife crime in London? What do we do about the fact that only several days ago in Nottingham, what do we do about that? Does it not leave you with this ache to say, God, what do we do? What do we do when we read, even, even in Uganda on the border with DRC yesterday, Friday, that 41 mainly children, mainly the next generation, uh, the fact is, uh, were killed, brutally killed, there in your news. The fact is, is that we live in a world now where the next generation, our children and our children's children, we're just hearing continually that their lives have been shortened. Things are taking place. You look back on the last six months of this year and you just do a, a cursory look at the news of 2023 and you'll see the, generation, the, the next generation being impacted by evil, by seemed to be a, an attack upon their lives, and they're losing it. And Joel comes into a, a national catastrophe and says, will you wake up? And he, he begins to target a group of people which becomes really important with a connection to the New Testament, which I'll grab a hold of in a moment. But he targets people who are drunk on wine. And he goes, wake up, you drunkards, and wail. Wake up, because though you are drunk now, you don't realize that the wine is running out and you're not going to be able to drink anymore. Why? Because the harvest is gone. See, there's a group of people who are just satisfying themselves. There's a group of people who are just living content with what their life is like. And they, they have their, their, their blinkers are on, and they're not seeing the national situation. And Joel's shouting at them, "Will you please wake up?" He sees this plague. In terms of things that other prophets used, he says it's a day of the Lord. There's a day of the Lord coming. This is just like a wave uh, coming in from the sea. This is just a precursor to the day of the Lord. Other prophets use the day of the Almighty, a day of God's wrath. But Joel is saying there's a day of the Lord coming and you need to wake up. This is it. We are in it. And see the disaster and see lives that have been crushed. See what's happening around you. This is not the day to sit at home and just enjoy your benefits from the previous. This is today a day of waking up. And Joel says this. Wake up to the desire of God for the next generation. And secondly, let that desire get you ready. Get you ready. So he will say these words, even now return to me. Even now, in this problem, return to me, says God, with Fasting and weeping and mourning. And when you as a generation get ready and get right with God, afterwards, 
I will pour out my spirit on all people. And your sons and daughters will prophesy. And your old men will dream dreams. And your young men will see visions. That's the promise and that's the pattern. That's the pattern within the Bible. One's generation's return to God is the next generation's refreshing. Do you know how you can have a revival amongst the youth and the children in your church? Do you know how? It's simple. Return to God with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Get yourself right before God. Don't be lazy. Don't be apathetic. Be hot fire on Jesus. Be passionate. Be filled with the Spirit yourself. Walk with God. And they'll look at you and go, I want to be like you. It's that simple. When we come to the birth of the church, Peter, the leader of the church, is trying to explain what has just happened when the Holy Spirit has just come upon them. <laughs> Ever tried to explain your testimony? And it's, you're just struggling with words. For him, um, he was struggling because he'd never had an experience like this before. But he sees the pattern. He sees the promise and he sees the pattern because this is 50 days after the Passover when they are celebrating what in Peter's mind, he understands it as the great day of the Lord because we have the cross and the resurrection. The, the, those two acts are the greatest things that God has ever done in this world. The cross where you and me bend our knee and say, Jesus, I want you to appropriate what you did on the cross, dying for the sins of the world for my life, and I want you to cleanse me and forgive me and let me start again. The cross and the resurrection which kills, puts to death sin and death itself where we can come before him and say, Jesus, thank you that you've given me eternal life. I'm not scared of death anymore because I'm going to live forever. Those two great acts are the day of the Lord, the day of judgment right upon Jesus. Remember Joel's prophecy? The day of the Lord and then an outpouring of the Spirit. When God's people on bended knee return back to God, return back to God, there will come an outpouring of the Spirit, not only on that generation, but on the next generation. Peter comes and says to the scoffers who are saying, Wow, your service looks a little bit unusual. What's going on or what's happening here? And they must have been mentioning the fact that they looked like they were intoxicated. And Peter says, these people are not drunk on wine. And then he starts to quote this prophecy of Joel. And the things that I've read to you, he, he quotes some of those things. But the thing is, with these people, with the Jews, you only say one, one verse and they know the whole prophecy. They know the scriptures better than anybody. And Peter begins to unravel 
this prophecy. And he says the same thing. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. The combination of the great day of the Lord and an outpouring of the spirit. The next generation need this generation to get right before God. Our sons and daughters will be carriers of the word of God in their generation. But they'll look to their fathers and their mothers. They'll look to us for inspiration. Peter says, this is now. These are the last days. So, it is a desire of God for a continual outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And we have to wake up to that desire. And we need to get right with him. But then all of us need to act upon that. We need to do something with that. So let me help you with this. No matter how old you are, there is a younger generation <laughs> below you, isn't there? I mean, apart from Adria at the moment. But she won't get away with it because soon there'll be another generation. Every one of us has got a, a younger generation. Don't give up on them. Don't give up on them. Whoever they are. They may be your physical children, your spiritual children. They may be people that you influence. Don't, don't walk away from them. When they dragged Stephen, the first martyr, out of, uh, out of the city to stone him. First martyr. Luke writes, Meanwhile, they laid their clothes at the feet of a young man called Saul. A young man called Saul, one of the leading Pharisees at the time, sanctioned the death, sawed every stone, hit Stephen. Some young people, some young men and young women, they look like their life their future is inevitable. It looks bleak. The Bible tells us how you start isn't always how you finish. Don't give up on them. Some of you this morning have got young people. Some of you know a next generation. You're thinking, oh God, What's going to become of them? Don't give up on them. If a young man called Saul, a murderer of Christians, could turn out to be the leading apostle of the church who wrote the majority of the New Testament, then there's hope. Amen? 
Don't give up on them. Don't let their failure consume them. Mark, in his gospel, writes about how when everyone had fled Jesus, there's this young man who didn't. So whenever all the disciples ran away, when the soldiers came, this young man continued to follow. We don't know who the young man was, but it's only Mark that talks about him. Mark was um, a mentoree of, of Peter. In fact, most of his gospel is believed to have come from Peter's first-hand experience. It could have been Mark himself. He follows Jesus and then it just gets too much for him. He did really well. He did better than the 12 disciples. But he just got too much for him and they seized him. And as they seized him, he was wearing a linen cloth and it must have come away. He left his linen garment behind and he runs away naked and ashamed. In a remarkable way in his gospel, and he's the only one who does it, there's, there's, there's a second time he uses the word linen. It's only on two occasions in that gospel. And no other gospel uses it like Mark uses it. But when Joseph laid Jesus' body in the tomb, Mark writes, he wrapped around the body of Jesus a linen garment. He particularly uses the word linen. He wants us to know that this is not just cloth, this is linen cloth. And if, it, his, if it's his desire to show us this, that the shame of our failure, of our running away, that Jesus took it on himself and was wrapped in the shame of people like you and me, then he's done a beautiful thing. Because that's exactly what Jesus does. He takes on our failures. Do not let the failures of the next generation consume them. I said to you this morning, if you've got shame today, You don't have to be in the pew to carry shame. You can be in the pulpit to carry shame. You don't have to be someone who you think you're a nobody. You can be somebody really high in your profession and carry secret shame. You may have learned how to mask shame. You may have known how to be professional with your life so nobody can see it. But it's a weight within you that you carry. And I want to tell you this morning, if you carry shame, Jesus can make you whole again. He, can ta he takes shame away. Don't let... Don't give up on them. Don't let their failure consume them. And don't let their passion die. Don't let their vision die. Paul, the Apostle Paul, Saul Paul, was preaching a lot longer sermon than I'm preaching this morning, so be grateful. 
<laughs> and he was preaching, and a, and a young man fell out the window. I mean, that was dangerous, safeguarding and all that, risk assessment, you know. <laughs> Where was that window? But he fell out of the window and fell down outside the church service where Paul was. And Paul stopped the service. Paul stopped going through his message and he ran down to ground floor. And in what looks like some kind of Old Testament Elijah prophetic thing, he throws himself on this young man full length. And he shouts back up, don't worry, he's alive. Young people still need older generations, spiritual parents, mothers, fathers. They need the next generation to pour everything within them into them. There, there is a DNA in you as a follower of God. You know how to pray. You know how to walk with Jesus. You know what to do. You've had experiences of God. And all of that is within you. And you need to pour that out onto the next generation because they need what you have. Someone has got to give that to them. And it's really hard to explain. It's a spiritual moment, but it is a moment of dedication of saying, I am going to give you all that I have and all that's within me. I'm going to pour it out upon your life. I don't want to lose you. I don't want you to see, see you walk away. I'm going to give everything into you. And for that, we need to leave our comfort zones of blessing. This is not only about you. This is not about you receiving, but it's about you giving and reaching out to that next generation. And finally, when that happens, your sons and daughters, your, it's personal. Your In, in this building, there will be people with, with, with children, people with grandchildren. There will be people that you are influencing, younger generation influencing. Yours. This is about you. This is not about just getting you to heaven, but when you get to heaven, for you looking behind you to say... What did, I, what did I do? What did I do with that generation? It's about you passing the baton on. And maybe if you are a young person today, it's about you grabbing the baton as well. Your sons and your daughters, the sons are obvious to the Jewish mind. But hold on a moment, daughters as well? And it's, it's part of the promise of God that everybody, even daughters, you Jewish minds, where you think sons are more important than daughters, the stigmatized, those who are lowly, 
2007. I was preaching in Niger, and I did an altar call for people to come forward for prayer. And a young lady came forward with a head covering. She was a Muslim. She wanted to follow Jesus. I said to her, what's your name? Through translation, what's your name? She said, my name, my name is nothing. And I, I thought at first, I thought, oh, she just didn't like her name. I said, well, she, nothing. And the translation, no, it, it, it means nothing. It's the first time I've come to, an, I came into the realization and understanding that around the world, people are actually given names if they're not wanted. So I, when I was standing with her, <laughs> it was a beautiful moment as I just thought of every amazing name I could think of and said, you're not going to... And, and uh, she, said, she showed me a little tattoo on her wrist. That's my name. It, it, it means nothing. Actually nothing. And I've seen around the world people who are the fathers don't want the daughters. And fathers only want sons. And so when a daughter is born, it's a massive thing. I've seen it. So like in, in Mumbai, in 2011, there was a... It made the news over here. There was a name-changing ceremony. Not a naming ceremony. Been to a few of them. But a name-changing ceremony. 285 girls, 285 daughters, the, this, this charity had gathered 285 girls, daughters, who had been given a name, Nakushi, which in the primary tribal language, within Hindi, there's a similar name within Urdu, and it means unwanted, it means disappointment. And that was their name. And this charity had a public ceremony. As it, these daughters came to the ceremony with braided hair and a ribbon and they looked beautiful and they chose their own name because the father that they were born to had given them a despicable name and they come to understand a heavenly father who sees them as beautiful, precious, treasure, loved. They chose all these names. And they walked onto the stage. They were presented with a certificate. This is your name. This is who you are. Sons and daughters. And I don't know if this applies, but I know in this place there'll be people who are stigmatized because of something in the past generation. You feel lowly. You feel unwanted. You feel as, uh, like you're never going to accomplish. Some of you have had words over you. Nothing will, you'll never do anything in this life. You'll never accomplish much. You'll always be like this. Nothing will change. And Jesus, by the outpouring of the Spirit, has promised to break that. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. They will speak the words of God. 
they will act the words of God in their generation now. A generation that lives supernaturally. A generation that knows God and hears God and speaks for God and acts for God. A generation that understands the song. A generation that understands Revelation 1.8. A generation that knows that not only is God Alpha and Omega, He's the beginning and the end. He, he encapsulates the whole of history, but that throughout history, that He desires that every generation has a continual outpouring of His presence and His power, the Holy Spirit. We need that desire. We need to wake up to that desire. We need to get ready for that desire to happen. And then we need to step out and act on it and see the next generation one for Jesus. Do you agree? Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Move in this place. Holy Spirit, wake us up to the desire for an outpouring. Holy Spirit, we present our lives to you to get right before you. Holy Spirit, here we are, wholly available. Use us, use me for the next generation.